Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. It's good to be back. I am your host, Ethan Castle. It's been about a week since my last episode, and you're probably wondering where the heck have you been? Well, I was in L.A. for the Ravens-Chargers game. Been dealing with a sore throat the last few days. And finally, I'm in a position where I can get this show on the road. But we've kind of got a lot to cover, a little catch-up work to do, talk about section football championships, as well as the weekend that was and the first few days of this current week in high school basketball, including, most notably, the NorCal tip-off with De La Salle's huge win over Centennial. There will be a separate episode previewing this weekend's regional football championship games, so be sure to stay tuned for that. A lot going on. Let's get things started. Go all the way back to the Turkey Day game a week ago between Lincoln and Balboa. Lincoln won 35-0, really just ran through them. Another big game for Jamel Newman, who continues to cement himself as one of the more decorated players the San Francisco section has seen on the gridiron in the last couple of decades. Really strong outing for him. Kevin Zhao caught touchdowns on two of the three passes that Lincoln threw all game. QB Andreas Alenig didn't have to throw much, but was effective when he did. The combination of Newman and Diego Cristerna, they took care of business. Lincoln wins their fourth city championship out of the last five. The prior three have led to state titles, and they'll be gunning for another one. The Silver Bowl was played last Saturday. McClyman's handling Oakland Tech once again. This time, 56-0. Remember, originally they were going to play Castlemont. Castlemont had to forfeit due to use of an ineligible player. Nonetheless, McClyman's handled business against Oakland Tech. 56-0. The Warriors did not allow a single point to OAL competition all year. In fact, they did not allow a single point in any of their eight wins. All eight of their victories have been by shutout. The two losses, 35-7 to San Ramon Valley and 21-0 to De La Salle. Also, apologies for the background noise. There is construction outside that started at the most inopportune time possible. Just as it's like, all right, we're going to wait until he starts recording, and then, then we're going to kick it all off. The seven championship games in the North Coast section, the only one won by a team that wasn't among the top two seeds was in Division 7, where Ferndale beat Willits 14-7. Division 6, St. Vincent de Paul ran through Salesian 48-12. Division 5, Miramonte handled St. Bernard's 42-20. Division 4, Akalanes got the last laugh against San Marin 24-7. I personally got a kick out of Akalanes receiver and Cal commit Trevor Rogers posting a couple of screenshots out of his DMs from couple of San Marin former players and fans. In Division 3, it was also defense-dominating. Marin Catholic beating Cardinal Newman 24-3. Charles Williams had an interception because, of course, he did. That's just what he does. Division 2, El Cerrito won a thriller over Windsor 34-31. Gaucho scoring the final two touchdowns, recovering a fumble late, trailing by three, came down and scored to win the game. That means that it was the final game for Windsor QB Judson Anderson, who threw for four touchdowns, three of which went to his brother Hayden, who was only a junior. 
However, El Cerrito did manage to pick up four interceptions, and then the fateful fumble in the fourth quarter. Turnovers, the difference in that one as the Gauchos pulled off a comeback win in what was arguably the most exciting of all of the section championship games in the Bay Area, although there's one CCS candidate as well. In Division One, it was Pittsburgh beating San Ramon Valley 37-21. to Those of you who said Pitt should have been the number two seed and gotten a crack at De La Salle rather than SRV, you can take this to the bank. A 99-yard touchdown from Marley Alcantara to Bobby Shaw III in the third quarter ended up being the turning point in this one. It was revealed after the game that Wolves QB Luke Baker was playing the end of the game with a fracture in his fibula that he suffered, I guess, sometime in the second half. Final game of junior year for Marco Jones, only 15 tackles, including 10 solo. As I've said throughout the year, Pitt's rushing attack has been far better than in past years. Jamar Cersei, three rushing touchdowns, averaging over seven yards a carry. Elijah Bowe ran for a TD as well, and that's really the difference between this Pitt team and past years. These guys can run the ball way better than some of their predecessors have. In the Central Coast section, the story continues in Division 5, where South San Francisco beat Santa Teresa 13-7, only allowing a touchdown on a blocked punt. The Warrior defense has been phenomenal all year. Fullback Marcus Mercurio powered the offense. When people talk about South City, the first two names that usually come up are running back Elijah Fields and wide receiver Darren Miller, both of whom are really good players, but Mercurio has provided a lot of substance and balance to this team and has been such a consistent producer and stepped up once again in this game. Also, after the game, you had some idiot South City fans setting off fireworks because you can't have South San Francisco without fireworks. This also happened after their win over Leland. I am a South City resident. It's a nice place to live. Weather's comfortable, close to everything, good restaurants right here, but the the biggest issue by far here is the illegal fireworks, and that seems to have bled over to what's otherwise been a phenomenal story. Congrats to South City football. Two years ago, didn't have a varsity team. Between 2018 and 2021, did not win a single varsity football game. They went from the end of the 2017 season until early in 2022 without a varsity football win. Now they are section champs. Regardless of what division, that's pretty cool. And clearly, considering the competition they went up against, it's not like they're just winning games against C-League teams. They've now beaten B and A-League teams to get to this point. Admittedly, the Mount Hamilton division is not as great as it used to be past Live Oak and Christopher, but that is a step up in competition that South City has gone up against. And they've beaten them, and they've beaten everyone pretty cleanly, just playing tremendous defense, controlling the clock, running the ball, and ultimately scoring when they've needed to. In Division 4, the other candidate for best game of the week, where Palo Alto beat Mountain View 34-33, to Linebacker Anthony Landa Mendoza, who I really liked in the win over Kings Academy to clinch a playoff spot at the end of the regular season, stopped Mountain View do-it-all back Viliami Sakona on a two-point conversion. Looks like he was going to throw a pass out of the backfield. Back and forth game, turnovers both ways, not a lot of long possessions, a lot of big explosive plays, just a terrific affair. 
Palo Alto section champion for the second year in a row. Last year, D5. This year, D4. Division three, Palma handled Alisal, 38-20. Closer game than last time. Good showing by the Trojans after on the field losing the first game, 42-15. Later getting credited with a win via forfeit. But Palma just too much for him. And it's one of those things where you consider the perils of the competitive equity system that Palma ended up getting classified far lower because of some games they ultimately had to forfeit. In Division Two, the miracle ride ends for Christopher at the hands of an unforgiving SoCal defense. 28 to nothing, the Knights take care of business. Middle linebacker Justice Grabul Taban stood out on film. As I mentioned, I was at the NorCal tip-off all day on Saturday, but he's been one to watch all year. Finished with a team-high eight tackles, including two for loss. Once again, that's Justice Grauel Tabong. Been a stud linebacker all year for SoCal, and now the Knights, after their first-ever section championship, going to try to keep this going at the NorCal level. I attended the CCS Division I championship on Friday night, expecting another great game between Los Gatos and Wilcox. It was not great. I mean, it's great if you're a Los Gatos fan, Wildcats profiting off of a series of turnovers. They led 42-7 at halftime and won 49-14. This was the Jalen Thomas show. Four touchdowns, two receiving, one rushing, one on an 82-yard kick return that made it 28-7. Wilcox gained nearly 400 yards of offense but kept putting the ball on the ground. I believe they lost four fumbles over the course of the night. Plus the interception, there was also a Bad snap on a punt that the putter bobbled, led to a short field and a touchdown on the very next play. There was a world where this could have been heading into halftime. A three-score game with Wilcox getting the ball to start the second half. And still, 35-14 to 14 would have been a lot of ground to make up, but 35-14 to 14 with the ball and a chance to get to within two scores. There was an avenue there, and then they would have had momentum, and with a team that runs downhill like that, momentum's a dangerous thing. And instead, another fumble, a 60-plus yard return by Scott Garwood, and then Thomas's second receiving touchdown, 42-7. Good night. Now that we are done with the section football playoffs, I do want to discuss the Mercury News looked at the final margin in each game and, to very little surprise, said that the CCS system creates far closer matchups that is obviously true. At the same time, you know, what are you the champion of if you're a champion of some of these divisions? You know, it's not like it's we're the most successful team of our school size. It's what are you the winner of other than three more games past the end of the regular season? Now, the NCS does implement some form of competitive equity, moving teams up and down through divisions based on long-standing success or adversity. You know, if you're a regular section champ, you get moved up. There's a formula behind all this. If your team misses the playoffs a bunch of years in a row, they get moved down. Here's the thing with the equity system. We look at the four teams at the top of the Diablo Foothill League. You have the three co-champions, Campo, Los Lomas, Acolanas, and then Miramonte in fourth. Campolindo, Division One, lost in the quarterfinals. Los Lomas, Division Two, lost in the semifinals. 
Akalanas, Division 4 champs. Miramonte, who lost to all three of those teams, Division 5 champs. And the main gripe with the competitive equity system is not that it doesn't create close games. It certainly does that, but that sometimes it rewards the wrong teams. And that's not to say that Miramonte or Akalanas aren't good teams and aren't deserving of success. But, you know, the idea is the regular season is supposed to put you in position to have a long playoff run if you're successful. And I think for a lot of these kids, you know, telling them, hey, we made a higher division and we have to play a tougher game, you know, the kids would rather just go out there and win games and keep their season going. That's the thing. That's the ultimate goal. You don't care who you beat or what division it's in as long as you get to come to practice the next week and play another game. And sometimes that gets lost in this. So I don't have an answer for how to create a perfect system. I have answers for how to create a better system in basketball, but for football, it's it's difficult, especially just with the different levels of high school football. Like You look at how above and beyond Sarah is from the next really great teams like De La Salle, Pittsburgh, Los Gatos, and the different steps down from there. And it's just, it's hard to figure out what's the best, what's the best way to refine this system so that, you know, we reward the best teams, teams are playing at appropriate levels of competition. How, how do you do it? And I don't have those answers, but I love hearing suggestions. And if you have any, please send them to me, let me know. I am always available via Twitter, Castle Media, always available via email, ethancastle at gmail.com. Really appreciate the responsiveness that I've been getting, especially when I put out polls asking what games I should cover. It is important that I cater to my audience's interests. With that, going to take a quick break. When we come back, going to talk about what's gone on so far this year in the world of high school basketball. NorCal tip-off, tournaments underway, a lot happening, a lot to get to. Don't go anywhere. This is the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. And we're back on episode 27 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Ethan Castle. Football season is winding down, but basketball season is underway. Last weekend was highlighted by the NorCal tip-off, but it wasn't the only big games that have taken place over the last few days. First off, on Friday, I caught the first three games at the Bishop O'Dowd Thanksgiving Showcase, including a Moreau Catholic 56-52 victory over Vanden, a game that included a skirmish that led to five ejections, including Vanden star Tyler Thompson, the Montana commit. I thought... The ejections were a little much. I thought technical fouls would have been enough, but I understand the officials wanting to make sure that they don't lose control of the game, so I, I get it. What really stood out to me out of that game was that despite crushing them on the boards, Vanden really didn't look inside much, which the next day they were far, far better about in their loss to Clovis West at the NorCal tip-off. Even in a loss, they looked far, far better in that game. Also watched Oakland Tech beat Grant 68-60. Pretty young Oakland Tech team without the likes of Zanmeyer Pletner, their starting center who was out injured. Was told he took a huge leap over the summer and hoped to get a chance to see him in action soon. 
Ardarius Grayson, formerly known as Ardarius Gates, had a monster game. I was very surprised that the next day they got beaten pretty comfortably by Moreau Catholic. 75-54, to game that Moreau at one point led by 29. That honestly really caught me off guard. Thought those teams would have matched up very similarly to each other on the smaller side. I don't know how much of it was just hot shooting. Moreau went 9 of 18 for 3. Oakland Tech 7 of 26 looking at the stats. Very balanced attack for Moreau, even in a 75-point showing. Only a couple guys into double digits, just a lot of different contributors stepping up there, whereas Oakland Tech, 24 points from Grayson and 13 from Sadiq Alarbesh, but not much else to help there. Also got my first look at Doherty Valley, who lost 56-46 to Sheldon, but put up a pretty inspiring fight. Led 23-16 at half before Sheldon got going behind the combo of wing Jaden Spears and guard Muhammad Singleton. Should get a chance to see much more of Sheldon in the next couple of weeks as they head up to Gridley. Saturday, as I mentioned, went to the NorCal tip-off. Bellarmine 68-49 winners over Head Royce. MVP of that game was Julian Gospich for his 18.9 rebound performance. A lot of attention will deservedly be given to Bellarmine's guard tandem of Brayden Harris and Will Corbett, but the combination of Nick Corbett and Gospich inside really overwhelmed seems on the boards, and that's exactly what happened against a pretty good head Royce squad, even without Andre Iguodala Jr., who left for link year prep, one of those so-called prep schools in Missouri. Game two, Lincoln of Stockton, 73-60 to winners over Ignacio Valley, who honestly looked pretty good despite just having seven guys. I really like the guard combo of Antonio Kellogg Jr. and Jalen Cody. They also have a six foot ten center in Evan McKnight. McKnight, a matchup problem. Lincoln did a good job keeping him from taking over the game. And then again, they just wore him down in the second half. Freshman Jonathan Roster had a really nice game, as did Anthony Moore. In the 11 a.m. game, it was a WCAL versus EBAL battle, a sort of game that I personally get really excited about, two of the best leagues in the Bay Area, and it was St. Ignatius overcoming a 14-point deficit in the third quarter. They rallied to beat Dublin 63-55, went from down 14 to up 10 in the space of about 12 minutes. Big second half for Vince Crisp, who finished with 22 points. Raymond Whitley with 23. Jalen Stokes had 20 for Dublin, but the Gales struggled with turnovers in the second half. SI played a pretty lifeless first half and then really picked it up. Up the pressure, started playing more through their big man, Theo Lamb, who's headed to D3 Babson. Lamb had 9 points, 5 assists, 11 rebounds. Crisp, 22 points. Whitley, 23, and special shout-out to Steele Labah, the son of City College head coach Justin Labah. Steele finished the game with two points, but played the entire second half with four fouls, played lockdown defense, and didn't foul out until the final 20 seconds. Weston Ranch beat Bakersfield Christian 85-72 in the following game. Bakersfield Christian's Gabriel Gutierrez scored 41 but Weston Ranch, powered by Darion Lilly, Richard Banks, Lathrop transfer Isaiah White, and El Camino Sacramento transfer Mateen Rafik, the, Tornel, the Cornell commit, ultimately prevailed there. 
2 p.m. it was Roosevelt from Eastvale, that's Riverside County, beating Reardon 77-72. A lot of the talk was about Braden Burry's top 25 ranked junior, five-star recruit, leading Roosevelt into battle. He missed last year after transferring from Riverside Poly. He scored 28, but it turns out he's far from alone. Colorado State commit Darnez Slater had a big performance in front of Rams assistant coach and former NCAA tournament hero Ali Farokmanesh. Point guard Miles Walker, who's generally listed at 5'9", had a really nice game, as did junior sharpshooter Isaac Williamson. Roosevelt knocked down seven threes in the first quarter, shot 13 of 27 from beyond the arc for the game. Reardon did rally from down 20, got it down to six in the closing minutes, but couldn't get any closer, could never get that next shot. Remember, this was a very shorthanded Reardon lineup. Jasir Rencher and Nathan Shamala still serving suspensions from the fight in... NorCal's last year against Indercom. Although it is worth noting, Shamal is going to be out longer than the duration of the suspension because he's got a knee injury. Wing John Tofey Jr. broke his hand playing football, has yet to return. And then Nessa Manike, the 6'10 transfer from Priory, along with guard Ryder Bush and Serbian transfer George Kerchich all currently sitting out transfer periods and will not be eligible until the start of January. So this was far from the complete Reardon team. Outside of Wrencher, though, it was the team that you're going to get at the Crusader Classic and at Gridley. Wrencher will be back for the Crusader Classic championship game. After that, it was Clovis West beating Vanden 78-64, Golden Eagles a 10-0 run to start the fourth. Big game by DJ Stickman to win that one. Much better performance from Vanden. Much better shot selection than the day before and used a balanced attack to compensate for the absence of Tyler Thompson and a couple other key players. All of those players were able to return for their win over Camp Alindo on Tuesday. 5 p.m. game, San Ramon Valley pulling away in the second half, 70-56 to defeat Capital Christian. Capital Christian, a super young lineup, almost all sophomores and juniors. Point guard Fred Blue is a sophomore. Forward Mohamed Kamara, a sophomore. Wing Jalen Valdez is a junior, really liked him. Miles Wiggins, a sophomore forward. SRV pulled away early in the third quarter. For the most part, it's the SRV team that we knew from last year. They're so deep that they've got Mason Thomas coming off the bench. Junior guard, really gifted shooter. Six foot seven forward Will Ambage would start, but he missed the last seven months injured. It was his first game since getting cleared. He came in and played a few minutes off the bench. Excited to see him factor in more moving forward. I really think he can be a D1 player. Maybe because he missed the summer between his junior and senior years, he might have to go the JUCO route or take a post-grad year, whether that be at somewhere like Golden State Prep or something on the East Coast. Wherever it may be, he certainly has the ability to play at the next level. If you're 6'7 and can shoot, you're going to have a nice future in basketball. What really impressed me about this SRV team, aside from their depth, was the way they rotated in different guards. The one guy they really had to replace from last year was their point guard, Parker McClory, and they did that by utilizing a bunch of different guys Jack Moxley, Matthew Diekman, Sean McDonald. Pretty wide range of guys that were able to cover the point. This was always going to be 
one of the best teams in the Bay Area this year, and their start to the year has confirmed that. Speaking of best teams in the Bay Area, two of them squared off in the penultimate game with Branson beating Mitty 65-58. Branson led 35-20 at half. Mitty did stage a good second-half comeback, getting it down to four a couple of times, finally playing through their big forward, Gavin Rip, but it was too much of a gap to overcome. Branson, everyone already knew, Dimitri Carr and Jace Butler were great. Butler with 23.7 rebounds, Carr with 16-7. and seven. But there are a couple other guys on Branson that deserve a lot of credit. Finley Keefe scored 16. He's going to have to be a big presence in the post after the Bulls graduated George Gale, who's now at Wash U in St. Louis playing D3 ball. And then point guard Joaquin Aguilon, he's allowed Carr to play off ball some. Aguilon dished out eight assists. Neither team going very deep into their bench. Branson only playing seven guys. Mitty only played six as they're waiting on SI transfer Caden Hutcherson. He'll be eligible at the start of January. <coughs> Ordinarily, Xavier Swanigan would be one of the first men off the bench, but he was out injured, hence the shortened lineup. In the finale, it was De La Salle over Centennial, 62-51. to Leo Ricketts hitting big shots against a nationally ranked team that made a long trip to play De La Salle is nothing new. Same thing he did to West Lynn last year. He scored 21, and sophomore Ibrahim Monoir, who spent most of the freshman year on the bench playing very sparingly for the Spartans varsity team, 24.7 boards, helped overcome Alec Blair's foul trouble. Christopher transfer Braddock Kelsvig, who was eligible right away because it was a family move. It wasn't like he just moved to play basketball. Six points, five assists, eight boards, six foot six forward, really skilled passer in the middle. And just a, just a phenomenal win for the De La Salle program and head coach Marcus Schroeder. And it's why they're going to be at the top of the Bay Area this year again. Other games I caught a glimpse of, watched Palo Alto take care of Sequoia the other night. Jarrell Clark, son of the Stanford track coach, not just very fast, but bouncy, threw down a nice alley-oop. Stanford basketball coach's son, Gavin Haas, looked pretty good as well. He really grew, added not just some height, but some wingspan as well. Palo Alto's going to be a solid team in the De Anza division, although if I had to pick, I think the team to beat in that league is going to be Los Gatos who I saw without their football players, including Scotty Brennan, who will be starting for them, as well as Owen Panu. They beat Hillsdale by 11 last night at Jefferson's Blue and Gold Classic in the quarterfinal round. Hillsdale will be a solid PAL Bay Division side. Even with those absences, Nolan Cook looks like a league MVP candidate, the type of kid that usually doesn't stay at public schools these days. So awesome to see him. About a six foot five forward, entering a strong senior year. One of their best last year as they reached the CCS D1 championship game before losing to Bellarmine. They were in the D3 state tournament where they lost to Justin Siena. I'll have plenty more coverage in the coming days, and I'm still kind of catching up with various tasks, getting things together in the aftermath of a very busy weekend between football championships, NorCal tip off. Going down to L.A. for the Ravens game, it's been a lot, but it's been a lot of fun. And I look forward to seeing you at games and conversing with as many of you as possible. My favorite thing about the NorCal tip-off over the weekend was just 
catching up with so many different people that I hadn't seen in a while between coaches, players, fans, parents, you name it. Basically the sort of people that make up my target audience. If you know of people that you think would help make up this target audience, please share this with anyone that you think might be even remotely interested, whether it's through Apple or Spotify or any other platform. And please be sure to leave a review and a rating and subscribe if you haven't yet. Thanks so much. Look forward to talking to you again soon. As always, I'm Ethan Castle, and this has been the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. Looking forward to catching you again very soon.